You're listening to the Grace Covenant Statesville audio podcast. I hate moving. Uh, many of you know that we moved out of our house this past week, um, and so this is this is a topic that's very fresh <laughs> and very painful uh, to us. Um, moving is unsettling. It's just, it's very unsettling. For the past six years, we we lived in Huntersville. We've gotten used to things. I was ten minutes where from our location. I was ten minutes from I eighty five. I was ten minutes from seventy seven. So in and out access to places. I was twenty minutes to the airport. Ten minutes from uptown. I could be anywhere I needed to be relatively quickly. Um, we knew everything was. You know, where, where the cheapest gas was, um, where we were going to buy our groceries and all these types of things. We knew how to get where at certain times of the day. We knew all the shortcuts. I had a six-mile circuit for riding my bike up and down hills. It was a great 30-minute workout um, all through different neighborhoods. And so we had all that set up. And we're very comfortable and very used to that. In one day, that all disappeared. One day it was gone. Now we're dealing with Mooresville traffic. <clears throat> um, how have you, you guys live more? How do you do that? I don't. We're still figuring that one out. Um, we don't know where we're going to buy our groceries yet, and my bike's in storage. <laughs> Moving is unsettling. <clears throat> Moving is also very stressful. Some of you also know because I've updated you as things along. We sold our house relatively quickly. Within a week, we were under contract to buy another house. Two weeks ago, the sellers of the house we're going to buy changed their minds and said, yeah, we don't want to sell anymore. Um, so last week, we're scrambling to find something. So we, we now we're actually in an apartment. Um, you know, we had to find storage. And now knowing we've got to move twice, you know, when we do end up finding a house. And, it's, you know, and, and it's, and here, you get this. The day we move in the apartment, so we move in on Thursday is when we're finally moving in. And that day I get an email from the apartment complex saying uh, they want a 60-day notice. You know, we had a three-month lease. They said, we want a 60-day notice. So in three weeks, you got to let us know if you're going to renew your lease, um, you know, for a longer period of time. And it's like, seriously, we're just moving in. You want us, then I'll make that decision where we're going to be and stuff. So moving is very stressful. Moving is just hard. It is just hard. Our move was supposed to happen on Wednesday. Movers showed up, you know, bright and early, you know, 8.30 Wednesday morning. Moving was supposed to be Wednesday. Thursday was just supposed to be for Betsy and I to be at the house to do cleaning. You know, just the final clean, just to make sure everything's nice and neat. And 9 o'clock p.m. Wednesday, the movers were still not done. We didn't actually finish the move until 1.30 Thursday afternoon. And then, so I go back to the house. And so Betsy's at the house cleaning by herself. I cashed in more chips with her on this move than I had. I had, I had, I had, a, res, I had a reserve. They're gone um, on this one. So I'm in deficit spending uh, with her right now. So, but here's the thing. So I, I, you know, I get up there around 3 o'clock finally to help clean. I've got to be in, on Concord at 6 to teach a class. Um, so I literally had two and a half hours to help her with the cleaning. Um, you know, carrying by, in our apartments on the third floor, no elevators. You know, so I'm carrying boxes and my feet hurt, my back hurts, my arms hurt. Moving is just hard. Okay, I'm done whining now. So, um, now, don't get me wrong. We don't question the decision we made. 
We know we made the right choice, and the circumstances were not what we wanted, but we know it was the right decision for us personally. And we also know that it will better position us to serve you, our friends, and the community of Statesville. So we, we know that. We know that we've got some short-term circumstances, but the long-term picture is one that we're very comfortable with and one that we still are very committed to. But I understand now, I understand why some people prefer to stay in unfulfilling and unhappy circumstances, even when they know a move might be better for them simply because they don't want to go through the hassle of getting there. I get that now. Um, I understand that. But here's what I discovered. To get to a different future, to get to a better future, to get to where you think God wants you to go, to be, you have to be willing to let go of where you are so that you can embrace and actually be, and get to what God has for you. There has to be that transition. And when we cling to what is known and comfortable, we will never experience the excitement that comes when we embrace the adventure God has for us. The stories we get to tell. Now I have sermon illustrations that I didn't have a week ago because of this move. Um, if you, here's the thing I've learned. If you want to walk on water, you have to get out of the boat. If you want to encounter God's activity in your life, you have to be in situations that are uncomfortable, that are difficult, challenging, stressful, all the things that I've just mentioned before. And that's just the physical you know, stuff as far as a physical move. It's the same with your job. It's the same with other things in life, that when we know that there's something that's better for us, that God has something, we have to be willing to let go of where we're at and enter into that unknown, that uncertain, that turbulent time to get to the other side. So as a congregation, Grace Covenant Church, three congregations, uh, one of our greatest limitations to our future is complacency. We can become comfortable and complacent where we are and not be willing to step out in faith to experience what could be. God is not small, but we make him small when we're not willing to move. We limit God's ability to act and move when we aren't willing to step out. Now, in the Old Testament, there's a group of people, the Israelites, who found themselves in a similar situation. Moses uh, had led them out of slavery in Egypt. They've been a slave for uh, like 400 years. So that's what all they knew for generations was being enslaved in Egypt. Moses led them out of slavery. Uh, and then through miraculous provisions, just miracle after miracle after miracle. Just, it was just an amazing story if you read through the book of Exodus to see what God had done. God bless you. They get to the edge of the land that, pro- that God had promised Abraham. Literally. So a promise, they get to that, that, that promised land and then they panic. And they literally said this, we should have stayed in Egypt. Imagine that. You're a slave under a foreign government, and you're saying, I would rather have that known entity than dealing with the unknown future that's in front of us. And so God said to them, okay, if that's what you want, you get to wander around the desert for the next 40 years. And that's what they did. And now we're 40 years later, Moses is dead, and now Joshua is the one leading the Israelites. And once again, the Israelites find themselves at the border of the promised land. And just as Moses did 40 years earlier, Joshua sent spies into the land to check it out. 
to see what's there. This time, however, the, the report from the spies came back as very different. Remember, the, if you're familiar with the story, the first group said, yeah, this is, not, this is not for us. There's just giants in the land. It was just fear. And this time the spies came back and they said this, the Lord has surely given the whole land into our hands. All the people are melting in fear because of us. And that's where we pick up the story today. <clears throat> in Joshua chapter 3, We're going to start with verse 1 through verse 8. So early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the priests who are Levites carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go, since you have never been this way before. But keep a distance of about a thousand yards between you and the ark. Do not go near it. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Joshua said to the priests, take up the ark of the covenant and pass on ahead of the people. So they took it up and went ahead of them. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel, so they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, When you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for what we see with uh, this stage of the movement of the Israelites, this group of people. Father, may we be able to observe and learn from them, um, from some of their preparation, from some of the things they did in order to embrace the future you had for them. May we be able to do that so we can embrace the future you have for us. So, Lord, for the next few minutes, we just commit this time. Lord, Holy Spirit, speak to our hearts, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, A few things about this passage. If you could put verse 1 back up there. Um, Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites, they set out. So throughout this passage... Joshua's name is mentioned, and, and, and it tells us what Joshua did. What, what's happening here is the writer is making very clear that we know Joshua's in control. There's no power struggle. Sometimes when the, remember Moses was been leading them for, he led them out of Egypt, he, his reputation, he'd been doing this for 40 plus years. Whenever you have a leader that's been that long, there's often a power struggle. There's often this, this vacuum of who's in charge here. What the author is letting us know is that very clearly Joshua's in control. Joshua's one of the leader, and he's recognized as the leader of, of, of the Israelites here at this point in time. Um, verse 3. So giving orders to the people, when you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the priests who are Levites carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. So the Ark was what's preceding. So the Ark went first across, um, across the river, the Jordan River, and into the Promised Land. This is the first time in the Bible where we see the Ark actually leading the group. Um, and so this, we sometimes see this in other times and in other instances. This is the first time this happens. Prior to this, the ark is there and is present, but you never see it used or placed strategically in such a position to lead the group um, forward. Then verse 4. 
They will know which way to go since you've never been this way before, but keep a distance of about a thousand yards. How many of you, your Bible says cubits? It's got something, uh, a couple thousand, uh, yeah, 2,000 cubits. It's a thousand yards. It's a little more than half a mile. So if you want to think of a notion, a little more than half a mile between you and there. Um, This is the number that's there that, that has theological implications, not practical. I mean, a half mile away, what, what the author is conveying is that, that because God inhabits that, that tabernacle, or I'm sorry, the ark is where God resided. And what the author is telling us, that is, that is sacred and holy. You don't even want to get near it. And so, yes, we're following it, but we're at a safe distance. Um, and so it conveys that sake of distance is a theological posture, not one for practice. You know, practically, so you want to be closer so you don't lose sight of it around the bend or, you know, whatever. Um, but, the, but again, here what's happening is they're just wanting us to understand that the ark, although it's in front, we, we, there's something very powerful and very special about that. Um, and then lastly, in verse 5, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Um, this idea of consecrate yourself, purify yourselves, is what is he's talking about here, is in reference to a passage in Deuteronomy chapter 23. Where God, again, the Israelites are getting ready to go into battle. And God says this in, in verse 14 of Deuteronomy 23. For the Lord your God moves, and in there God had actually said to consecrate yourselves at that point. The reason why is that because the Lord your God moves about in your camp to protect you and to deliver your enemies to you. Your camp must be holy so that he will not see among you anything indecent and turn away from you. So it's interesting here, the idea that God is with the army military and his presence is there. We can't do anything that's going to cause God to have to remove himself because of our behavior and activity. So the idea here was that they needed to um, purify themselves and make sure that they were right before God in all areas of life, not, uh, not just in, in one or two. So clearly, God is at the forefront of this transition with the Israelites. No one... No one's thinking, you know, should we be doing this? Are we, you know, should we really be going into this land here? I mean, no one's questioning that. They all know that this is, this is it and this is what God has for them. And yet, even though God was directing them to move, I wonder, I suspect even, that there were some Israelites who were not too excited about this move. Many... This lifestyle of wandering in the wilderness, for many, if not most of the people, that's all they knew. They knew what it was like to get up in the morning and follow the cloud and so the pillar of fire was moving. They knew the routines. They knew what, what, that that was all they knew. So the idea of going into someplace else and then having a permanent residence was a little unsettling, I'm sure, for some of them. Manna and quail was there for them every day. So they woke up in the morning, they had bread and meat for the day. And we know once, later on, we know that once that they crossed over into the land, that, that stopped. Now they're responsible to find their own food. Um, little tidbit, manna, you know, it's actually a Hebrew word, mana, which actually literally means, what is it? <laughs> so the Israelites, when they first saw it, it's like, what is it? I don't know, what is it? And that just became the name. The name is, what is it? Um, little, little, little trivia there for you. They had their daily routines. 
They woke up in the morning. They had to shake out the tent. You know, whatever it was, they had their routines that they knew, and that was all going to change. And Deuteronomy 29 tells us that their clothes for 40 years, their clothes never wore out. Their shoes never wore out. In many ways, life was pretty simple. So for 40 years, the Israelites had experienced God's faithful provision wandering in the wilderness. But the simple fact is there was a new season ahead. God had a greater future for them, but it required them to move out in faith. There were risks they had to take to possess their future. So some thoughts. What does that look like? Some thoughts about moving into our future. First thought is this. There is a time to pray and a time to plan, but then we must be willing to move. It's appropriate that we take time to pray and to plan and to strategize and to think it through, but at some point in time, we've got to take action. Um, over uh, One of the courses I teach is, is on strategic planning. And essentially, it's, it's a, a, a course on, on how to help. More often than that, they're nonprofit organizations. Uh, I typically teach this uh, internationally. Um, so they're, they're, they're NGOs, non-government organizations, or nonprofit organizations about how to, how to develop a strategic plan for your organization. A um, lot of passion, a lot of energy in nonprofits, but sometimes there's not a lot of organization. Like, how do we be strategic at this? And so that's what I do. Here's what I've discovered, though, over just my experience and just my research research, that organizations and companies uh, 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 will spend sometimes tens of thousands of dollars developing a strategic plan. They'll invest thousands of man hours developing this plan. And then the plan goes and sits in a bookshelf. No one does anything. It's not executed. They have a phenomenal plan. It's a great plan. It, it'll work. It'll, it'll move them into the future. It'll, it'll advance the company. It'll make them more profitable, more effective, more efficient. But no one does anything because it requires them to change. And sometimes when you got people who they just, we're okay where we're at. We just, we're, we're okay staying here. And they don't want to change. The plan is worthless unless you execute it. The same is true for us. We should seek the heart of God so that we know the will of God, but we can't stop there. We must be willing to walk through the ways of God. So that's my first thought. <clears throat> There's a time to pray and a time to plan, but then we must be willing to move. Second thought is that we have to be willing to step into the unknown knowing we have the help of the one who knows. So we don't know, but we can have faith and hope and confidence in him. So the Israelites were about to become the recipients of the promise God gave Abraham more than 600 years earlier. 600 years prior to this moment, God said to Abraham, go from your country, your people, your father's household to a land I will show you. So he didn't say, here's the map. Here's where you're going. Here's the roadmap to get there. He said, I'll show you. I'll let you know when you get there. Just start walking. So what if Abraham had said this? What if he said, you know, God, you know, I'm good. You know, I hear the life of an immigrant is pretty rough. You know, I'm just going to let you bless me right here. What if that had been Abraham's response? The Bible would be really short, wouldn't it? It would end in uh, Genesis. <laughs> But think about that. 
how much of what happened after that, the, the ripple effect, and not just Abraham, but generations, and literally history was changed in his case because of his willingness to say, okay, God, I don't have a clue what this looks like, but let's go. And you've got to wonder, what does that look like for us? What, what you know, with our move, I have no idea how this is going to end up. And I hope it's a great, you know, um, resolution here. I really hope it's soon um, is what I'm really hoping for. Oh, the idea of moving again quickly is not one where either one of us are wrestling. But, you, just, I, you know, you just want to, you want to, you want to be where you know you need to be. We would like to know all the details, have all the answers and all the provision. I don't know about you, but that's seldom the way it works in our life. Usually there's more questions than answers, and there's never enough money. Um, the kids need braces. Well, that stinks. You know, how are we going to do that? I don't know. You figure it out. Um, but that's what you know you need to do. That's usually the way we find ourselves. More often than not, all we have is a conviction that we need to take a first step. Over the years, I've learned that once I take the first step, it's usually not long until I see the second step. And then the third step, and then the next step, and so on and so on. And that's what it means to walk by faith. To walk by faith doesn't mean that you have the final destination, you have the final solution. It just means that you have a sense of conviction that you need to do something. And you look what's in front of you. And the way I always tell my kids, I have kind of one of my mottos is you make the best decision you can with the information you have right now. And then you move, you go. You don't need to second guess it. You know, if you find out a week later that there's new information, you didn't have that information then. You have to make a decision, so move. We have to be willing to step into the unknown. My third observation is this. Preparation precedes experiencing God's power and provision. Preparation precedes experiencing God's power and provision. Two weeks ago, when we began this initiative to raise $10 million over the next four years, um, I'm on record as saying Statesville will have the highest participation rate of all three campuses. All of you laughed. Um, <laughs> but I did so because I know that you understand the value of giving back. You understand, you're beneficiaries. We're in this room because the other campuses have given. So you understand that, that you, you more than the other campuses get that. I also said that because I asked you to pray. I said, I'm not, I'm not here to put guilt or pressure. I'm just saying, here's the vision God's given us. Here's what's in front of us. You need to pray. God, this is a corporate vision, but each of us as individuals has to participate in that. All I'm asking you to do is pray and say, God, what is it you'd like us to do? And I know that when we do that, um, some great thing, things can begin to happen. The act of prayer is part of that preparation process. As you seek God, you are aligning your heart with his. You are consecrating yourself with him. I'm confident that when we pray and ask God for direction, he will give it to us. The act of consecration reveals a principle 
that God will not act powerfully on behalf, of, on behalf of his people if they were not inwardly clean and aligned to his will. There's an alignment issue that needs to be there. The act of consecrating ourselves also keeps us from doing something impulsive and stupid. Um, my dad, some of you know, my dad was a pastor as I was growing up. And uh, I remembered this. I was, I was little, we were, it was in Minnesota, and I think it was a work day at church. You know, you have work days, people come and clean, do things. Well, one of the guys of the church, I forget how he had it, but he had a bulldozer. And so they were pulling stumps. They had cut down some trees, and they were pulling stumps out. And sometime prior to that, my dad had mentioned that he was just sensing that, you know, it may be time for them to build. They had an old, as a uh, Quonset Hut kind of building. So this is remember Gomer Pyle, the, the half dome kind of buildings, the barracks. That's what the church building was like. Was that round dome kind of building? So they, the, he just the church was growing, and he felt like that we needed to do something different, and had just verbalized that thought. Well, the guy with the bulldozer says, "Well, what about today? Let's get going." Uh, and my dad, okay. So literally that day, that work day, Saturday, a bulldozer dug out the basement. For the new church, no permits had been pulled. Um, no plans had been drawn. There's no financing anywhere. I mean, there hadn't even been a conversation with the bank to find out what it's going to cost. Just a big hole in the ground. Um, the city did come by and say, "Yeah, you need to actually put some security around that because it's a safety hazard right now." <laughs> Here's what my dad will tell you that that situation. Although the end game, it was they did build the building and God did some amazing thing. It actually almost gave my dad a nervous breakdown. He'll tell you about the, that night that was you know, almost a breaking point for him because he acted impulsively. He 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 knew what God had. He was very clear about you know what God was saying, but that was not the time to do it. And and so this idea of planning and preparation, consecrating the prayer. It's, it's, it's to give us conviction to move forward, but it's also to protect us from doing something impulsive and stupid um, because it allows the Holy Spirit to say, not now. Pause on that or listen to your spouse. She knows what she's saying. Um, <laughs> not that that's ever happened. That, that. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. Yeah, so I've got to build up those credits. So. <laughs> You have to do what God tells you to do, and you have to do it when he tells you to do it. And lastly, my final thought about this is that um, we need to follow God's direction and step out of your comfort zone, comfort zone into the faith zone. You know, if we continued reading this chapter, we would have discovered that when the feet of the priest touched the Jordan River, the water stopped flowing from upstream. So the moment that their feet touched the water, the current, the river stopped flowing. And just and it's a backup river somewhere. Actually gave the name of the town. The water stopped moving um, and it backed up. And so the Israelites crossed over into their promised land on dry ground. So it's, it's interesting that the Israelites left Egypt crossing the Red Sea on dry ground. Now they're entering their promised land, the same type of thing. As I said a moment ago, I have no idea how our housing situation will end up. However, I do know this. 
Had we opted to remain where we were, God would not have even had the opportunity to act on our behalf and do something amazing. Sometimes you have to get in the water before the miracle happens. If you just play it safe and stay dry, you will miss much of the future God has for you. God spoke to the Israelites as a group, but each person had to determine for themselves how they would respond. Similarly, the leadership of Grace Covenant Church believes with great conviction that we have heard from God about positioning this church for our future. In turn, each of us has been asked to pray and do our part and see God provide in a miraculous way. I'm convinced that God will respond to your step of faith in ways you can't even imagine today. Our God is the God who parts the Red Sea and dries up the Jordan River so that his people can move into a greater future. Don't make God small. Um, some of you may have noticed that we didn't take an offering earlier. Uh, and that's because we, today is the day, it's the last week that we're talking about the, this um, capital initiative to raise those funds. Um, and so we wanted to actually do so at the end. And so we're not taking, we're taking a combined offering. So your regular tithes and offerings. Um, but then also in your, you, you've, we've been having these in your worship guide for the last few weeks, but there's one there today. If you want to fill out, or if you haven't already, um, put these in the offering basket. So we're, we're doing one, one pass around. Um, sometimes churches will have multiple passes. Um, that's a whole other conversation. But um, we're just doing one. Um, so if you want to do that, please, if you're writing a check and you want to make it for the, the, the um, Embracing Our Future campaign, make sure you note that so it's designated for that as opposed to just your general giving. Um, also, just know that, just to reaffirm, the leaders have been asked to make their pledges early, and over a million dollars have been pledged so far, um, just from some of the leadership, and so that's already happened. Also, recognize that some of you, we've given you the opportunity to do this online, and so some of you may have already done that as well, and uh, that's, that's a great thing. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your, um, for your word. Thank you so much for the Israelites and their example. I'm just so amazed that um, sometimes their successes and even their failures are just such lessons for me where I realize more and more that I am just like them. Uh, Some days I do it right and some days I don't. But Father, in the midst of this, we learn and grow. And Father, our heart and passion is to follow you. Father, I I would suspect with great certainty that none of us here want to limit your ability to work in our life. And so Father, if there's any who are struggling with some sense of movement, whether it's a physical move, whether it's a job issue, a relationship issue, a pledge issue, Father, I pray, Lord, that you would allow each of us to act in faith and take that step necessary to see you provide in ways that only you can do. Well, Lord, I am excited to hear the stories of provision that are going to come forward. They're going to come out in the next few weeks, realizing what you've done to open the doors of blessing upon these, your people. So, Father, as we receive the tithes and offerings and the pledges and, and gifts today, Lord, may you bless them, anoint them, Lord God, um, expand them, Lord, like you did with the loaves and the fish, that they would increase and provide for more than what they originally could. So, Lord, we commit this to you now. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, 
Visit us at gracecovenant.org.